everybody, it's Kyle, and I'm back uh, just with another Stall Agronomy, Rogue Agronomist podcast. And um, I just want to talk about, um, I don't know, I had two or three different topics that uh, have been sitting on my uh, my to-do list. And this one is actually pretty, or uh, it's something that's kind of, I don't know, I wouldn't say near and dear to my heart. Something that... Um, I don't really talk about with a lot of people uh, or, or with a lot of customers or anybody really just it's the uh, the people that I, I call them influencers people that um, in my life that I I've, I've really paid attention to or, or learned a lot from um, and uh, I, I did have another podcast episode um, sitting in my on my folder here that I uh, recorded well it was like two months ago um, I, I've kind of deemed that one a little too hot for radio. Um, it, it was kind of about uh, retail and my experiences in retail. And um, really, after leaving retail a few months ago, I I, I think that's something I'll, I'll probably talk about, you know, in, in the coming year or so once I kind of get away from that world and I can kind of share some of the experiences I had and, and have a... Uh, We'll just put a clearer mind about it. Um, it was a little, a little miffed yet. So, um, anyway, so into what I want to talk about. So, influencers, people that, um, people that really kind of influence who I am and and what I do and how how I do what I do. So, um, the, the first thing is obviously my family. Um, my grandpa was um, was one of my biggest influencers. People that I I really looked up to, especially in agriculture. Um, you know, my, my grandpa was the last full-time farmer in the family. Um, we sold a family farm in the nineties and, uh, grandpa, grandpa kind of got to the point where, you know, my great grandma passed away and, um, he had a sister and a brother. And I think that they, they all three wanted their part of it. And, um, grandpa just, I don't, for whatever reason. And I mean, this kind of happens, I think quite a bit more than what people like to admit, but you know, grandpa didn't have the money to buy him out and I, I don't really think I, I the second to last year for him actually farming was the drought year 88 and I really don't think he had the heart for it um you know it was a lot of work he was doing it basically all by himself and you know even it was only like 300 acres but that was back in the 80s when our biggest tractor was a 706 international and we were picking everything with a 715 international combine and I think grandpa was playing with a four row wide planter and i think our biggest tillage tool was uh like a 15 foot disc and you know i it just it was a lot of work for grandpa so you know and a lot of things he taught me was um kind of about how to balance farming with family and you know grandpa's motto was always kind of for me at least what he's always told me was farming kind of comes first and um he he kind of prepared me for the fact that i'd be missing out on weddings and and birthdays and holidays and you know this year i think we had um we had a bunch of family over to our house for thanksgiving like we always do you know i worked in retail and when i worked in retail that was never a deal well this year we were farming and we were still combining in in november and um I actually worked uh, most of that day. Um, I think I got home about one or two o'clock um, and watched the end of the Bears game and spent the rest of the day with family. But all the mills around us were closed down. Um, 
we just filled everything else up we could um we do have a couple of green bins at the farm we tried to fill those and they hadn't been used in a couple of years so we had issues and it was just a struggle so we kind of gave up that day but um you know i that was his thing um when i went to the farm that day he's just like you don't need to be here and you know i i have this thing and it's always been kind of instilled in me that's you know my dad started me with that when i was a kid too you know we we cut wood we built fences you know cows still need to get fed um we actually raised labs when i was a kid and you know those all still need to get fed and taken care of so i i'm just used to you know like christmas morning for us was get up take care of cows take care of the dogs um then we'd have christmas and then we'd go back out and take care of more stuff and then we would go to my grandparents and my mom's house and then we come home that night and take care of cows again so you know i'm just used to doing that um you know that that to me has never been a thing you know we memorial day um was always interesting in the co-op um you know there's a lot of people that didn't want to work memorial day but being in wisconsin uh usually we're still planting there's still stuff to get sprayed i think i've worked all but maybe two memorial days in my entire career you know we always worked um and it's the same thing with fourth of july it seems like every year up here is a wet year um the only years i can remember not working on fourth of july was 2012 um i think 2015 we got everything done pretty early that year um i mean there's three or four years i can really think of uh where we didn't work on fourth of july but you know a lot of that comes back to my dad and my grandpa you know i i've been just i'm used to that that's kind of how i was raised you know um my ffa advisor when i was in high school um he was he was one of the guys i when i always talked i've talked about this before um with some people i was a fairly sheltered kid uh growing up um i was i would say i, I was a kid that kind of grew up and you know i i was a the guy that school that kind of hung out with everybody but i didn't have like a group of friends that were really close with me um i was pretty independent um I always get mistaken that I'm much older than I am. Um, I'm actually 34 and I've got customers that, um, a few of them not really sure what my age is. Um, I've had it more often than I think when I first moved here, people thought I was 30 and I was 23. Um, I still have people that think I'm probably in my forties. Um, I did get great hair at an early age, so maybe that's part of it, but, um, I've always been kind of the guy that, I don't know. I've always acted or at least been, um, I spend more time with people that are much older than I am. And it seems like that's a group that I have always kind of gotten along with. But, um, when I was an FFA, uh, my advisor really kind of, um, I would say he, he made me go out of my shell. He, he made me, uh, join groups and clubs and do, um, judging events that I wouldn't normally have done just to kind of get me out of my shell. And, um, that, that was a big influence in my life. I, before that I, I was pretty sheltered. And then after FFA in high school, I was a lot more outgoing than I used to be. Um, let's say my first boss, um, as an intern, um, it was Matt Parmer. He, he was the agronomist with uh, Cargill and Matt taught me a lot about, um, scouting and grower expectations and, I, I that was a great internship for me. I was just an agronomy intern. I scouted fields, but <clears throat> the cool thing with Matt was um, the two years prior to that, I worked for Pioneer Scouting Fields for seed production, 
And those customers um, were also being scouted by Cargill, which I didn't know at the time. Um, that led me into the, the Cargill internship. And actually a couple of them, the, the biggest ones were um, Matt Parmer's uh, uncles. And I was highly recommended apparently. And it, it's pretty cool. Just that was literally the first time in my career where I, I experienced, you know, you do a good job for somebody else and they'll, they'll pass you along to somebody else as well. I mean, it, a lot of my business over the years has been word of mouth and that's, that's been how I do things. And to me, and I think that happens quite a bit in agriculture, that's been probably the best thing. Um, there's, it's very rare for me to pull into somebody's farm in Wisconsin um, and have somebody who not knows of me, at least. Um, everybody always, they've not met me, they at least know who I am and kind of what I'm about, and that's made my life a lot easier. Um, I always uh, learn from Matt kind of that, you know, we, you know, if you're in it for the long haul, uh, people figure that out. And I think the first year I moved here, um, that was kind of interesting. I, my boss told me, um, I remember the first day on the job, he said, it's kind of like a cult. You, unless you're in and you can show that you're going to be around, uh, people won't do business with you. And that actually really rang true. And um, that's been the thing for me. I've always stayed in the same territory and, you know, I've expanded that territory. Um, in the past with different jobs but I've always kind of stuck in that core area and that to me was really uh, worth it but my um, where we're actually farming is in that core territory and I met that guy um, I met him uh, it was almost 11 years ago and that uh, the willingness to stick around has has really helped me out in my career um, you know my first boss taught me a lot of stuff um, he kind of let me be myself. Um, my my sales style was always kind of slow. Um, I would say slow at first is, you know, I, I spent a lot of time um, building reputation and, and working with growers. And I'm not the kind of person that always goes out and just cold calls and pulls into people's yards and, and instantly tries to sell you things. And that's what FS kind of taught me when I was just coming up was that that's not the way to do business. The best way to do it is, you know, talk to people, understand their operation. And when they're wanting to buy from you, they'll buy from you. And that to me was, was a huge help. Um, you know, and I had internship with FS as well. And, um, I spent most of my time in that internship writing with the regional agronomists for their seed division. And Dwayne taught me to endless amounts of stuff about dealing with customers and I spent the entire summer going on grower complaints and you know well that wasn't the most fun thing in the world is hearing people get yelled at all day but um, understanding how to deal with those complaints and, and working with growers and coming up with solutions um, that meant a lot to me in my career um, and then when I first got up here um, I was pretty green you know I I had all the scouting background but understanding how a, a fertilizer and chemical dealership worked um that stuff was all new to me my the the branch manager i had um brian was brian was interesting um once we got about four or five years in we became pretty good friends but the first few years i was that kid that didn't know what the heck i was doing and i remember uh writing a chemical rep 
and luckily Brian was always um, the, willing to at least look at my chemical reps before uh, the applicators took them. And I remember one day him coming to my office and he, he's like, "What are you? Uh, what are you doing with this guy?" And they said, "Well, this is what we're going to spray. You know, we're going to take care of this and this and this. this is how we're going to do it." And he goes, "No, no, you're not." He said, "Number one, you can't mix these two chemicals together," which. Um, I will admit the first few years I was absolutely terrible at, at reading uh, chemical labels. Um, he's like, so you're going to read a label before every time you send somebody out. And he said, second, this program is insanely expensive. He's like, you need to understand that growers need, um, need to be profitable at the same time. And so we, we basically sat down a lot and, and went through racks and what I recommended. And that was, it was a great help. Um, I mean, I've paid way more attention to chemical labels and I've had the same thing with people I've taught and it, it kind of brought me along. You know, he, he also made me, um, I think we, we sent sprayers out. So I, I came from Indiana where the low spots are always the wet spots. Um, in Wisconsin, the side hills are the wet spots, uh, where we get side hill seeps is where it's wet. Um, I sent applicators out to a field that I thought was dry uh, I checked the low spots. I had never walked it before, and the low spots were fine. And we got a we got a machine stuck. And um, I think the first two years I was there, he's like, "You're going to scout every single field before you turn in a map." And he said, "If they get stuck, you're going to pay for it." And you know, it really kind of got me to the point where I walk every inch of every field, and I, you know, especially if they're new, so that I know where everything's at, where all the wet holes are. Um, I've got applicators that I worked with over the years that they could ask me where to go. And, you know, every map that they got had every wet hole, every field entrance. Um, you know, I, I sprayed too, and I got to learn that it's important to know where those load spots are and, and where the field entrance is. You know, I don't want to spend half my day driving up and down the road, looking how to get into a field. So a lot of that came from Brian and I remember I had an applicator there, um, we were trying to get business, you know, is this the way you're supposed to do it? And I was always really concerned about, are we going to be able to, to do anything? You know, if we pick up more business, are we going to be able to actually get it done? And an applicator goes, you know, you're passing up business because you're not sure if we're going to be able to do it. He said, we can do it. He said, you'll get the business and we'll worry about getting it done later. And that meant a lot to me. Um, and I think the next year we picked up uh, it was like three or 4,000 acres of spraying, which for us, that was almost, I think it was about a 10% increase or 20, almost 20% increase. And, you know, we got it done. And if it was me before Pat would have said that to me, I probably wouldn't have got it done. Um, so I, I've had, you know, I, I've learned a lot from applicators and other agronomists and branch managers. And, um, you know, I had, had an uncle that um, has his own company and, when I started to consider doing this, you know, I think it was like two, three years ago, we were talking about my job and what I was doing. And he said, you got to have your own company. He said, you just, so the way you are, you're so outgoing and you're just more of an entrepreneur anyway. He said, you just need to get out and do your own thing. Then you don't have to worry about what bosses are telling you and, and what people are thinking about you. He's like, you just need your own company. And when I considered doing this, that was why, you know, my uncle kind of steered me in the right direction. Um, you know, I, that was a huge deal for me. Um, uh, another person that 
that really helped me out. Um, when I left FS, I had um, one of my, uh, I'd call him a peer. Um, now he's actually running their entire agronomy division. Ben uh, Ben called me and um, I remember Ben calling me and saying, you know, just understand what you're doing. Um, you know, you can always call me whenever you want. Uh, I'll always talk to you. Um, he said, you know, we had some, we exchanged some thoughts on the company I was going to, but he said, you know, don't worry about what everybody else thinks about what you're doing. He said, you know, and this is me leaving the company he works for. And he said, you worry about yourself. He said, you need to come first. You know, if, if you think you're doing the right thing, you don't worry about what everybody else is thinking about it. And that's always kind of rang true. That was the same thing when I left the previous job. Um, I thought back to what Ben said, you know, it's, it's all about me and what's right for me. And I, I tried to do what was right for me. And it's because Ben kind of steered me that way. Um, you know, the, the little things that people say to you over the years, I don't think they really understand. You know, I'm, I'm sure there are people that I've talked to and I, I've given some talks with and career advice and, and, life advice and farming advice that remember things I say. Um, I don't think I really know that, you know, that happens, but, you know, um, I guess I should realize that it actually does happen. But, um, you know, I, I don't think people really realize that, that there's a lot of people out there that, you know, you deal with on a daily basis or, or you know of or you've met that influence, uh, you've influenced, and you really don't know that. Um you know, and that's kind of what this is about. It's all the people that have influenced me. I really don't think a lot of them really know that or, or think about it. Um, you know, I, I've had a really good luck over the years to be work, to work with really good farmers and, and customers. And, um, a lot of them have influenced me on, on how I do things. And, you know, there, there's always been people that are willing to give feedback and, you know, I, I've gotten the negative feedback, but at the same time, you know, I had a lot of guys that would give me, I would say, constructive criticism um, that, you know, I don't like the fact that you did this. You know, maybe you should consider doing this in another way. Or, you know, I I think, you know, I, I heard a few guys talking and you really should focus on this or this guy or this field or you know, I've had a lot of customers that have helped me along the way. Um, I've always been really appreciative or appreciative of all the, all the growers I've worked with. And there's been some really, really good ones. Um, every once in a while, there's a bad one. And, you know, that there's just people that are out there just, uh, you know, I, there's some people that look at it as a business and they treat people differently, but there's always for every bad one, there's probably 10 good ones. And, you know, to focus on, the bad ones, um, it's not worth your time. It's, it really isn't. Um, you know, there, there's always somebody that's willing to work with somebody. Um, I've had when I, I left one company, went to another, um, there was a lot of people that they worked with that I never worked with. And, you know, I was just like, you know, I don't know how you work with this guy. And the guy that was actually paired up with him, perfect for him. You know, it, that's the thing. I, I always had a, I had a one boss that told me, you know, we need to be working with every single farmer. If we drive by a farm, it's going to be the end of the world. You know, 
I had another guy tell me, and that's Rod Ostos or Rod Ostis. Um, Rod's thing was, I think it was like 20 or 30% of growers will never do business with you. And he said, you just need to come to that realization right off the bat. And don't focus your time on those guys. Focus your time on the guys that are willing to do business with you. That I can take with a grain of salt too, because I've had customers that I've done business with that were really great customers for me that took three or four years to come around that I had a manager tell me that there was no chance we will ever do business with them. You're just wasting your time. So it's really comes down to, you know, a gut feeling. I I have gut feelings about people. I've got feelings about situations. Um, I've kind of learned to always kind of go with my gut. Um, You understand people. If you can learn how to read people well, which is kind of what I do, uh, I mean, on a daily basis, um, if you can learn how to read people, you'll get a feeling. And if somebody tells you that something will never happen with them, but you think that it will, you know, just keep working at it. And I think there's a lot of growers that really respect that. If you stick around and you keep working with them, you know, that that's been a big thing for me in my career too. There's, there's three or four large customers I did business with that people told me we would never do. And I just kept working at it. I work weekends. I, I made sure I scouted their fields when everybody else would never do it. So it, it was basically going out of my way and, and working harder than the next guy. And, and we got that business. Um, I was really lucky in my career too, to, um, to be able to work with some breeders and, and chemical reps that have been really, really good. Um, I've learned a lot about the sea business working with guys at FS, um, remember Dr. Garzonio, who was the head corn breeder for FS, and I think he's now the head of the seed division. Um, he was he was a great influence. Um, Dr. Garzonio taught me a lot about plants and where genetics come from and, and how to understand um, what their crosses are and why they do it. And um, We took on the Curry brand when I was working at, a, at Landmark, and the Curry guys would come, and I actually got to meet a lot of the... Uh, the breeders for Curry or DuPont um, genetics. Um, I got to meet Dick Stepflug and some of the guys at Monsanto. It, it's it was a really big help for me in understanding uh, understanding corn. Um, I use a lot of genetics that a lot of people wouldn't normally use in our area, just because the popular genetics are what people want to sell. But the genetics that work on tough acres aren't um, aren't really touted or talked about. And I made a career on selling corn that that people wouldn't normally sell, but my stuff always seemed to work a little better than the popular stuff because we have tough ground, and that's always worked for me. And that was kind of going back to understanding uh, how genetics work and, and understanding the crosses and being willing to sell and, and understand the stuff that no one wants to teach you about. So... And one of the last things I'll, I'll talk about is, um, well, I'll talk about the people that influenced me to do the right things in my career. There was always people that I would say, uh, tell me what not to do or how not to do stuff. Um, that part, I won't name anybody or talk about anybody specifically, but there's always going to be people that you're not going to think that they're doing the right thing and they're not doing it the way that you would ever do it. Um, you know, I, I think think back to my upbringing. Um, while my dad taught me a lot of good things about um, work ethic and 
and working with things in yeah i mean i i'm the kind of guy that um i never remodeled a house i've never done trim before i never installed doors but my dad taught me enough about woodworking and and understanding how to build things and how you know we framed houses we framed barns um i learned enough of that that when i started working at it i just took it off you know it just took off i just understood it right away and i just started working um i remodeled most of my house by myself and no one ever taught me specifically how to do that but dad gave me the skills to do it um the thing that my dad i guess that i i learned from my dad um is exactly kind of what i'm talking about so dad's the way that dad does things and i think this is the same thing on a farm you know the way he would do things is not the way that i would ever do things um there's my dad's shop was when i was a kid um you'd ask dad where this where's the saws all at and dad would be like ah it's over there underneath that that tarp right next to that pallet you know dad was kind of the guy that you know nothing really had a place um even though maybe it did have a place but it was never in it um i am the complete opposite i am completely organized every tool has its place once i get done working with it it goes back in its place and that taught me that you know me and my personal life i've gotten so organized because as a kid i grew up hating the fact that i couldn't find anything and i think that's kind of the same thing you know people teach you you know you're going to see people do things that you don't like the way they do it and you're going to do a different way and i've always been like that i think a lot of the way i do things are are the way that people would normally do it and to me being unique and and being different um not following the path and following the group or the mass has has really led me to be um unique and that has paid off for me i think being unique is is really really good um not following what everybody else does and you know if people take the weekend off i work all weekend um if if guys are really successful at selling and they'll meet a farmer three times a year. They, they basically come to pick up the check in the winter. They'll drop the seed off in the spring and then they'll come back in the fall and scout stuff and, and show you how great it was. I didn't want to be that guy. I didn't think that that was the way to do things. Those guys sell a ton of seed, but um, I deal with the growers that they don't deal with because that's the way they are. So my group of guys are guys that most people wouldn't normally work with just because I'm the way I am. And my business has always been really secure because those guys really don't have a foot to stand on when they walk into the guy's place and they aren't going to be there to uh, to service and follow up. So that to me is the, one of the biggest life lessons I've got is always do the opposite of what everybody else does. If you, If you don't think that people are doing it the right way, be comfortable being strange. Uh, be the guy that's okay with just being kind of weird. And honestly, it's what my my moniker is about, what the podcast is about. You know, I'm the rogue agronomist, um, and, and that's really what it is. I, I'm I'm different. I'm I'm kooky. I'm kind of strange. Um, I do things in a way that most people wouldn't normally do it, and I'm okay with that. Um, I kind of embrace the strange, embrace the weird a little bit. Um, so. Those are guys who have directly influenced me. Um, indirectly, you know, I, I pay attention to the Hefties and Ken Ferries of the world. Um, their lessons have kind of taught me some stuff. 
Um, I would say that if you're a farmer or if you're an agronomist and you really want to copy what the Ken Ferries or the Hefty Brothers do, don't. Um, you know, Ken Ferry is a great agronomist. Um, he's got some really good skills, but most of those apply to um, central Illinois. And when you take that stuff to Wisconsin, where we have heavy clay soils, um, I'm not going to say Ken Ferry wouldn't be a great agronomist in Wisconsin. Um, I will say that Ken Ferry, a lot of the stuff that they do and he talks about, um, there's a good chunk that would never work here or we would have to adapt to work here. And it's the same thing with the hefties. You know, they got to remember they're in South Dakota or the Dakotas. And I know that they have locations here, but you know, not everything that those guys are going to show you or teach you or, or talk about is going to work on your specific farm and your soil. Um, I think, you know, they've influenced me to understand a lot of things. Uh, so properties and, and Ken Ferry's taught me a lot about tillage. Um, I think Missy Bauer is always the one talking about planters, you know, that stuff's been great. Um, I've learned a lot about that stuff, but at the same time, I've learned to take what those guys have taught me and, and adapt it and, and understand it for our soils and our conditions and, and turn that around so it's something that my growers can use. Um, you know, I've always spent a lot of time listening to public speakers. Uh, Rook Denver is one I've been talking or listening a lot to lately. Um, there's always quite a few guys out there that, that talk about stuff. You know, I talked about Rod Ostis and Rod's taught me quite a few things. I've actually been on some Rod's trainings and um, Rook Denver was um, a former Navy SEAL. He talks a lot about understanding, um, understanding your group and, and being a leader. And, um, I think one of the ones he talked about was, you know, try to understand your, your group skills, because there's always going to be somebody in that group that has a skill that you don't even know about. He said that they were, uh, the specific story about that was they were driving a boat, um, on a mission. And I think he took over the control of the boat cause he figured a guy didn't know how, what he was doing. And he said he hit like two lobster traps and he's like, I don't know if you know what that is, but he's like, if you hit a lobster trap, that's like a, almost a federal offense. And he said, the guy that was driving the boat before him actually knew what the heck he was doing and wasn't hitting anything. And he said, I didn't think the guy could drive a boat to save his life. And he turns out this guy is just awesome at it. Um, they had another story where there was, they were in a, they were in Afghanistan and they were, they were looking or uh, following us like some Taliban guys and he had a guy that, um, he said, Hey, you know, what are you seeing out there? And he said, Oh, there's a guy over here with an AK over his shoulder. He's at our one o'clock, uh, about a thousand meters out. Um, he's doing this and he's, you know, I don't, you name it. And Rook's like, where the heck is this guy at? And he said, what you, this guy was doing was he's looking, you know, they were looking big picture. And he said, this guy was looking, you know, small spots, scanning spots and, and doing it a different way than what he did it. And he said, this guy had a skill set that no one else had. And he didn't really know that until they got into combat. But a lot of that has really kind of came down to me. I, I've, I think there's a lot of people in everybody's groups that have skills that you would never think that they have. Um, it's been interesting going to the farm. Um, I would say that most people would not think that I'm a mechanical person. Um, I actually am not bad. Um, I have a different skill set. Um, I've always, I'm able to, um, say I, I'm able to understand what's going on and think back, you know, think big picture 
and and deduce things down a lot faster than most people can. Um, we had a planner issue last year, and it was basically the we weren't getting power to a, a motor on the planner to drive the uh, hydraulic motor, and they're working on all the all the wiring harnesses and checking all the connections. I literally get there. I'm I'm watching what they're doing, and he said, "You got to help us out. Grab a tester." And I I literally just walk right up to the tractor, and I I look at the wiring harness, the main wiring harness for the planter, follow it underneath the tractor, go right to the battery, and I'm like, "There's got to be an inline fuse." And yeah, I mean, within five minutes, we we're up and going. Before I got there, they were working on it for two hours trying to figure out what was wrong with this hydraulic motor and why it wouldn't run. Um, I'm the kind of guy that. I can think outside the box and just be like, all right, hold on. We're doing something wrong. We need to rethink this. And that skill was never something that I think the guy I farm with really knew about. And, you know, now he's come to kind of love that skill. The fact that I can show up, um, if he's having a problem, he's, this has happened a few times this winter where we've had problems or he's been working on something and he just can't figure it out. And I show up and I'm like, all right, Hey, uh, before you put this back on, you might want to put this belt on first. And he's like, I put that back together twice and I couldn't figure out how to get this freaking belt on. And he's like, and now I'm actually thinking about it. And you're right. We should put that belt on first and then put this back together. And it just little things like that uh, are, are things that I do that no one else would really think about. Um, the last one I'll talk about, uh, this is like 30 some minutes already, but um, you know, a lot of the people I follow on Twitter, have really taught me some cool stuff. Um, I will say, and Angie won't really think about this, but Angie Setzer is, is one that's really been interesting to me to uh, kind of follow. So Angie, Angie's a lot like me. Um, I'm really good in a group setting. I, I know on the podcast, I'm a, I'm a one person gang here. So my, my humor is completely lost on this. I'm, I'm talking to myself. Uh, my dog's laying on his dog bed, but um Hermes really could care less about what the heck I'm talking about. But, you know, I, my sense of humor doesn't come across here, but um, Angie and I have kind of the same sarcastic sense of humor. Um, I literally was talking to a group of uh, women the other day, and I said, well, you guys figure this out. And none of them really said it, but I could tell they were thinking it. And I said, you know, I'm sorry, but when I talk to a group of women, it doesn't really matter to me. I just say you guys. That's just the way it comes out. That's just me. That's the way I've always said it. Um, if you're offended by it, don't really try not to be, but that's just me. Um, and Angie is the same thing. It's it's funny. Um, she's talked about being at meetings, and basically I think we talked about maybe having her come up for the company I worked at before, and she said, okay, well, I'll come up, I'll talk, but once you know I'm done talking, dinner is like an awkward thing. She's like, I don't want to be in conversations at dinner, and that's the same thing with me. I, I I'm really good in front of farmers. I'm really good in a group setting when I get up and talk to a group. But once it's done and I'm in a huge crowd, um, I'm not a real big person in crowds. So like we have uh, grower meetings and stuff, or we'll have, um, I usually, uh, in this world now, I let's say I have a crop or um, a pioneer seed meeting. Um, and I'm the guy that I'll go to dinner. Um, I think the last time we went out, we went bowling after. And I played a few frames um, or a few games and that was it. Uh, I'm done. I'm not going to be the guy that sits in the bar and drinks till two in the morning and, and, and shoots the shit with everybody else. I'm the kind of guy that's gonna, I'm there, 
yep, you know, I, on a one-on-one, I'm great. Uh, but in a group setting, it's just not my thing. And Angie's kind of taught me that that's okay. I, I thought I was kind of the only person. I always felt a little bit um, different. And like it's for, I'm, I'm kind of learning to embrace the strange, embrace the weird, embrace being different. And uh, Angie's kind of taught me that a little bit. Um, I don't think she really knows that. Um, you know, we, we talk on Twitter every once in a while, but it's usually just, you know, me replying to tweets and stuff. It's not like us talking directly. So again, indirect things, but um, it's one of the things I'll go back. It's on, in your daily life, you talk to people and you interact with people and you say and do things that you think is just normal. It's just the way I do stuff. Um, it's, you know, I had a conversation with somebody just to help them out, but you really don't ever think that you influence other people's lives, but you really do. Um, it's, it's something we really don't think or worry about, but it does happen. So anyway, uh, stay tuned. I'll try to get some lighter note stuff, but, uh, like I said, the one that I was going to release way too hot for radio right now. Um, I need to re-record that thing. Um, I would need a beep button. Um, I would probably get sued. <laughs> it was, it was, uh, definitely way too hot for radio, but, um, Anyways, stay tuned. I'll have some funny stuff. Um, I'm going to try to get some more humor stuff injected. Um, no more Christopher Walken impersonations, but um, try to talk about some life experiences and some things I've had. But um, stay tuned for more stuff. Thanks.